Welcome to The Grid. I am your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and we'll be taking a 13 by 13 episode journey through every possible No Limit Hold'em hand, 169 hands in total, from aces to seven deuce offsuit. Each episode, I'll interview another top poker player or personality about their hand. Once a combo is taken, it's gone. So this podcast will become progressively more difficult as hands like ace-king are removed from the grid. Whether you spend hours poring over grids as you study poker, love to listen to hand history pods while grinding cash, or are just interested in absurd scavenger hunts, we're going to have some fun. You got the cards. Dealer, I'm feeling it hit me. Yeah, I got swagger. They see me, see me strutting. All sweating daggers. Believe it, I'm the real thing. But I gotta switch it on. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Grid. Today, I am very excited to bring you a special guest for our one-year anniversary episode, the man who created so many poker dreamers all over the world. Yes, we are talking about former world champion and Hall of Famer, Chris Moneymaker. He won the World Series of Poker main event back in 2003 from an $86 PokerStars online qualifier, inciting a poker boom with ripple effects that have lasted decades. Even more remarkably, perhaps, in the 17 years that has eclipsed since then, he has continued to work on, play, and promote the game tirelessly. And today, he has brought us a hand with three five suited in a very large cash game pot. And I'm going to let Chris go over some of the details. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. You asked me to do the grid, and I thought this was the most fun of, of the hands because of the participants in the hand, just kind of the dynamics that it involved. Well, set it up for us. The game happened at the Palms. Obviously, this was many, many years ago when the Palms actually had a poker room. We were playing uh, 2550 No Limit Hold'em, and it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. So we had been playing pretty much all night. Um, ben Affleck was just learning how to play. He was in the game. Toby McGuire was in the game. Vince Van Patten, myself. So we were playing 2550 No Limit. And at that time, uh, again, Ben hadn't won the California State Championship yet. And he was just learning how to play. Um, but the one thing he did do is he opened literally 100% of the hands pre-flop. He raised 100% every single time. It uh, didn't matter if it was two, seven, or aces. He raised it. The good thing for him is he raised the same amount of pre-flop. But he did open up 100% of the hands. The problem that he had is if he connected with the flop in any way, whether it be... A flush draw, straight draw, bottom pair, inside straight draw, didn't matter. If he connected it with the flop, he would bet the flop. And if he didn't, he would check. So it was pretty easy to obviously figure out where his ranges were and where, where he was in hands. I would say the average player in the game was a recreational player. I might have been the only quote-unquote pro. Um, Vince Van Patten was probably the most seasoned player outside of myself. And he opened for $200 in this hand and got four callers. He was the first to act, opened under the gun, got four callers, Vincent Patton to my right, and then myself. I was the last to call with a 3-5 suited. The flop came down, king of spades, I had the 3-5 of spades, by the way. Flop came king of spades, 10 of spades, six of clubs. Ben checked. So when Ben checks, I I mean, that's, again, kind of his dead giveaway back then that he missed the flop entirely. And then everybody else checked around to myself which i checked as well seeing how i had a five high flush draw with no real promise with a hand other than a five high flush draw 
So the term was very interesting. It brought the four hearts, which gave me an open-ended straight and then a flush draw. And then Ben, uh, being the first to act, bet $1,100 and Vince called. Um, at this point, I pretty much know Ben doesn't have anything. Um, more than likely, he has a four in his hand. That's just kind of how he does. Or he could have some kind of straight draw like I have. I mean, those are the really the hands that, that Ben's going to have. Now, Vince, you know, I'm putting him on, you know, Jack Queen, you know, maybe a Wheat King, uh, 10 Jack type hands. I think he would call all of these hands and play all these hands. Because, I mean, Vince is pretty much knowing how how uh ben's playing and we've been playing for quite a few hours so vince has, i'm sure figured out what ben is doing on the turn when he bet 1100 i felt i felt like i had an i mean ben's never folding once he catches the pair either um, but we're playing pretty deep and i thought well i want to get vince out if possible or find out where he is a little bit but also i want i want to build a pot if i were to catch something on the river the problem with this play is when i raised to four thousand on the turn if I miss, I have to show because Ben's never folding. You know, Ben's got enough money. He's not going to, and he just, he doesn't, he doesn't like to fold. So I know I'm burning 4,000 if I miss, but I know if I hit any of my straights or flushes, they're a really good shot. I can get paid big by Ben on the river because again, he's not going to fold very often. So I raised to 4,000 and both of them called, um, which actually made me feel more like that Vince had something along the lines of, of, of draw like Queen Jack. So anyways, the river came the four of spades, and uh, both Ben and Vince checked on the river, and I bet $6,000. At that time, Ben quickly raised to seventeen, and Vince actually went into the tank for a while and folded, which obviously, you know, he, he told me later he had king-queen, um, which kind of makes sense. I would expect of him to bet on to bet on the flop when that, when that spot, but I guess, you know, he's playing pot control or whatever. Ben's about six, 17K. And, uh, you know, obviously this, this four paired the board, maybe my flush, but it did pair the board on the river. So, you know, against the majority of people in the majority spots, I'm going to just flat call here and go to showdown and call the extra 11,000. Um, but given the player and the information that I have and, uh, the fact of how he has been playing, I felt like this was a good spot to go ahead and ship all in for another 30,000. And uh, I felt like Ben would call here with any four. Uh, and that's the most likely situation. He either had a four or he had a miss straight or flush or miss straight. If he has a flush, he would have been on the flop, I'm pretty sure. So I felt like flush was good. And I felt like he had a four. And uh, he went into the tank for a very long time. You know, to his credit, he thought about it a long time. He finally called with ace four. And uh, I scooped a pretty large pot for a 25-50 game. So this was between when Ben Affleck won the California State Poker Championship, which was in 2004, for $350,000. Pretty good day for an actor. Must have happened at some point between those two events. So It was 04. It was it was real close to uh, 15 years ago. Ben won the tournament a couple, like a month or so after this cash game. Um, like he started taking poker very seriously. Um, I'm pretty sure he was with uh, Jennifer Lopez at the time. And uh, he was taking it really serious and uh, really working at it. Uh, you know, again, he, he had the aggression down, but I think if anybody's heard anything about Ben, you know, he's a really smart guy. He got kicked, he's been kicked out of uh, casinos for counting cards and blackjack. So, I mean, he really does have a, a passion for, for gambling and, and uh, he has a really smart mind. So, and the aggression that he has playing every single hand is, is a good way to win a poker tournament, as anybody knows that. 
plays poker. Aggression is really good for poker tournaments. So it didn't surprise me when he won the California State Championship. And again, it was probably a month or so later. But again, he he had to have worked a lot on his game between this cash game and that tournament because he literally, like I just described, I mean, he raised every hand and uh, bet every flop he connected with and checked everyone he missed. So it's pretty easy to pick up. So, But he, I know he was working on his game quite a bit. So he was literally playing 100%. You know, sometimes people say like, okay, yeah, this player plays 100%. And they, you know, then you see the replay and actually they played like 40%. But you really mean like he literally... I played about 60, 70% easy in this game. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of flops, obviously, when you have someone that's opening up his every single hand. I mean, when I, no, he was playing literally 100%. The only hands he didn't play was what, obviously, when he went to the restroom and when he got McDonald's. He got McDonald's at about 2 a.m. and uh, he was eating. Actually slowed down and folded a few hands. But outside of that, no, he played every hand. Actually had someone go out and get everybody McDonald's. He had somebody go out and get everybody McDonald's. That's nice of him. So what was his reaction when you turned over the 3-5 suit? And I mean, I take it he's a very wealthy man. So even though it's a 100K pot, he, it probably doesn't, you know, cut into his bottom line very much. But as a competitive person, did it still upset him? No, it didn't upset him at all. He, he said, nice hand, you know, good hand, Chris, whatever. Just like another hand. I mean, <laughs> didn't, didn't affect him one bit. Again, you know, he's competitive. But at the same time, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to call it a cooler hand because... The pot was never supposed to be as big as it was. A year later, when he had gotten better, I don't think we come close to, I mean, obviously the dynamics changed so much. It was just the dynamic of how he was playing that evening. And I don't know if that's the way he always played. I played with him twice, and both times he played that way. But I know you can't win a poker tournament playing that way, so I know he's changed and and learned a lot. And from people I've talked to, he's gotten, he had gotten a lot better. I don't think he plays much anymore. He just said, nice hand. What else can you tell us about his personality? You said also Toby Maguire was in the game. Were they very chatty or were they mostly just focused on, you know, the cards? Um, they're both pretty chatty. Uh, Toby, you know, he his wife was there and uh, he was super friendly. I mean, there's a lot of rumors going around. He got a bad rap from Molly's game. I, you know, I didn't see that side of him. I saw, you know, he was super friendly, really chatty. Uh, the one thing I noticed about him, again, this is he was just starting to play as well. Um he could have, you know, 50,000 in front of him. And the one dynamic I kind of picked up on him was if he had a lot of small chips, whenever he got some of these lower denomination chips, he would always be splashing around with them. But when he was down to his big chips, he would snug up and not play many hands. Um, that was the most interesting dynamic with him. But no, he was super friendly. His wife was super friendly. Um, ben was awesome. Uh, we were all drinking. It was, uh, it was a good evening. It was fun. Was it a special thrill for you? Are you a fan of them in any kind of movies? Or was it just more like, you know, kind of cool, but then it wore off and just some fun guys playing poker? Of course, it's always fun playing with, you know, people you've seen in movies and things like that. I mean, one of the cooler experiences I had as a party and Leonardo DiCaprio comes up behind me and puts his hands on me and says, I'm a huge fan. I mean, you know, turn around and Tim, I'm like, what the hell? You know, just it's crazy some of the people you, you get to meet through this game of poker and uh yeah no playing with those guys it was definitely surreal it was a fun experience uh i don't want to say it ever wears off but eventually yeah it just comes down to you're playing cards against people and i'm a competitive person so i want to i want to win so i just develop my strategy like i would against anybody else based on 
how they're playing, and uh, I just treat them like any other person by that point. Yeah, I mean, you can see that that shove in the river is is very um, ruthless as it's like a play that you wouldn't make against a, another pro, but you're really, you know, trying to like uh, figure out the best play specifically against Ben Affleck there. And I think that kind of shows your competitive nature. Did that break up the game? Because you said it was like 3.30 in the morning. The game did kind of break shortly thereafter. Uh, you know, Ben, that was... The majority of the money he had on the table, and he just decided at three thirty in the morning he just wasn't going to rebuy, and um, everybody was kind of like, "Yeah, that was awesome." Let's just kind of ended on that note, and uh, so yeah, kind of busted up the game a little bit. Um, again, it was three thirty in the morning, so we were probably winding down just about, anyways. Yeah, and it's kind of hard for something more exciting than that. Pretty cool experience. It's one of the you know the cooler hands that I've ever been a part of, and. Um, you know, I really don't remember that many hands. That I've, um, like when you asked me to do this spread, I could only I could remember three or four hands. And the way it down made me, you know, it made it to where I could remember details and the situation pretty clearly because, uh, again, just because of the unique circumstances. Yeah, definitely. Was there a particular occasion that you guys were playing this cash game with all these celebrities? Was there like a party or an event, or was it just kind of a somewhat some kind of insane coincidence? It was kind of like a mini Super Bowl back then. There were maxim parties and everything else. Those grew up over time, but that's what the start of it. So, you know, and all these guys are starting to get into poker around that time. I don't know the reason that we all got together, but I do know that I got to, I mean, I, I don't normally go over to the Palm. I didn't really no, normally go over to the Palms and play, but I had a contact that reached out to me and asked me if I'd like to, you know, be in a game with them. So, I jumped at the chance to go over there and sit and play with them. So it was kind of like a semi-private game. They, people knew that they were there, and then like you were able to like uh, grab a seat. Sounds like amazing. I, I don't want to say it was a private game because you know we did have it open to anybody, but no one left the entire night. Like nine of us sat down. Like we had the game set before we started, and no one left the entire night. So we had a long list on the game. We had a crowd watching. Um, but no one got to see because, again, we basically played the the same nine played the entire night. Was it the kind of game where you would talk strategy like in between hands or mostly about other topics? I don't think there was one single strategy talk at all. Um, it was mostly, you know, talking about sports and drinking and life. You know, I don't think anybody really talked about their particular life. Like we didn't talk about J-Lo or anything like that. I, I talked to uh, Toby McGuire's. I think she was her wife at the time. I might have been my girlfriend. It was Jennifer. Um, she was really nice. She was, I talked to her a long time and, uh, Toby was real quiet, but Ben was, was talking quite a bit. And then there was a club owner there. Um, he was real, real talkative and, uh, I've actually played with him a few other times. Vince was talkative, of course. Um, but again, it wasn't really strategy. It was just kind of things that we can't do now. <laughs> we can't talk sports anymore. There's no sports on TV. <laughs> well, you still have movies, though. What's your favorite Ben Affleck movie? Have you seen Have you seen several? Yeah, I've seen a lot of them. Good Will Hunting's probably my favorite one. I mean, that movie was so awesome and iconic from back in the day. I mean, I also liked him in uh, Dazed and Confused. I thought he was, uh, that was one of his first movies that I ever did. And I think he makes a pretty good Batman, I guess, too. So I've been a big Ben Affleck fan for years. He, he does a lot of good movies. I liked Argo also. But 
with playing actors in po- in poker games, like some massive cash games like this, you've probably also gotten a chance to play with many of them in various celebrity tournaments and charity events. Um, is there something to the fact that they have a greater talent in hiding what they have? Oh, not at all. The, the one person that, you know, kind of talked about having a, a good talent because of the acting was James Wood. Um, he said he would always look at the people's ears because when you're lying, your ears drop a little bit. Um, he's the only actor I've really talked a little bit of strategy with. And, uh, I mean, I think everybody knows James Wood takes the game really seriously or he has for many years. He was the one that really tried to use his acting chops, I guess, and, and use it at the poker table. Other than that, most of them actually have a pretty animated face and are pretty animated characters. So I think they're generally much easier to, to pick up information on than your normal person. I think part of it is they don't... I don't want to say they don't care as much, but like, you know, I guess they have so much money and they have, uh, this is a hobby for them. So they're not really focused on, you know, when you're playing against a professional, they're, you know, focused on every component of their body and being aware of how they're being at the table and being conscious of the decisions they're making and, and what they're doing, where when you're playing with most of these guys, they're just oh, I've got a good hand, I'll bet, and I'll laugh, and I'll joke. And for the majority of that I've played with, uh, I think they're much easier to read and much easier to figure out where they are, Uh, again, because they're not taking it 100% serious. It's more of a relaxation hobby for them. That's so interesting, and I think I agree with you that in, in many ways actors are, you know, talented because they have a wide range of facial expressions and demeanors, and that that can actually be more difficult, even though they, they are also potentially more conscious of other people's micro-tales. Now, I remember, I think it was in your book that you wrote after winning the 2003 main event championship, um, you... You mentioned something about how you re- were conscious of the fact that you might be a tell box because you mostly played online poker and that you developed a strategy of just like um, creating all sorts of random facial tics so that people couldn't like figure out where you were. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you managed to execute well? And when did you kind of drop that as you became a much more experienced live player? I did it for years. Um, I kind of dropped it when I realized that I didn't need to do it anymore because people were going to call me anyways. Um I would say me and Helmuth probably get called more than anybody else in the world. I would say that people want to beat us and make moves on us and try. You know, people play very polarized when they play against myself and uh, some of the other big names. So I, I learned a long time ago, I don't have to use facial tics. I don't have to go to Hollywood. I don't have to do anything. I just got to bet for value. And a lot of times that's going to work out just fine. Ah, uh, yeah. And so did you have to kind of pull back bluffing? And at some point, was it difficult to calibrate to the to the point that, you know, very strong players might pick up that you didn't have bluff ranges? Yeah, of course. I mean, that was, you know, a big challenge of mine for years is one, figuring out how people were playing me differently. And I was kind of an aggressive player. So, you know, I was getting looked up a ton and people were making moves on me and I couldn't quite, you know, get it all like you said, calibrated, figured out. And then, you know, I would get really tight and the good players would pick up on that. But at the end of the day, it didn't really matter that much that the good players picked up on it because my table selection was pretty good. And it's always, it's always been one of my biggest strengths. I, I played mostly two, five, five, ten, even one, three, one, two. And I'm trying to play against, uh, fans and also people that I just know that I'm probably going to be better than and people that I know that are going to be playing a certain way. And that's going to be an exploitive way to where they 
call off too often on me. So I'm not really worried about, you know, these pros that are waiting to get, know that I don't have bluff ranges because there's only going to be one or two of those at the table at any given time for the most part. And honestly, I'm just not playing a ton of hands with them. I'm playing more against uh, the six or seven other guys that are calling all my value bets and they don't really quite realize I'm never bluffing. That must be hard, though, because bluffing is so much fun. And obviously you executed it well against Sammy Fahar. Was it difficult to kind of give up one of the parts of the game that no doubt you were really super passionate about knowing that it wasn't actually profitable, even though it might be fun? Well, no, I mean, you know, it's just the, the fun in the game to me is figuring out the best strategy to make the most money. And, you know, obviously bluffing does get your heart rate pumping and, you know, value bets and making hero calls. And I will say this is five, 10 years ago. I will, you know, currently most people that play against me, um, unless I'm playing the moneymaker tour, then I just kind of revert back to just value hands. But the majority of people I play with now, um, they aren't really just set out to bust me all the time. It's more going to play me pretty much straight up. So I can, I can, I can bluff a little bit more and, and play a little bit more uh, GTO approach, more, more steady, tight, solid game. Um, and incorporate some bluffs. But that's just the, the aging of poker and people learning more. And also, I think there's been so many poker pros now that, you know, people aren't going out of the way just to, to try to bluff me or play with me in, in certain spots. Where in the back, of, back in the day, I mean, people were like, yeah, I'll never get this chance again, so I'm going to try to run a bluff on you or uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm never going to fold to you. I'm, I'm not going to be far haul. I'm not going to fold. So what was your most significant memory outside winning the 2003 main event? Was it this hand? Honestly, the, the one of the most significant memories I probably have is uh, battling Nick Binion, um a long time ago. It was back in the same time frame. He came in, and we were playing 1-2 PLO, and he tried to, to you know challenge any person there for $10,000 heads up, and I jumped up at the chance, and... We ended up playing seven or eight different heads-up matches and a couple mixed games, and uh, we played till seven in the morning between him and Sam Grizzle and Benny Binion. When what year was that? I think it was late two thousand three. It was after I won the main event because I didn't have the money to play him heads up. He, he wanted to play ten thousand dollars heads up, and I didn't have. I mean, we were playing one two PLO, so I had like three hundred bucks, four hundred bucks on me, something like that. I don't know, some small amount. So I said, you know, you're going to have to loan me the money. And he's like, well, who the hell are you? Why would I loan you money? He's like, well, I just won the, the World Series here, you know, a couple months ago. He's like, oh, you're the catfish. You're the, you know, you're the fish that won the World Series. Okay, yeah, I'll play you for sure. So he said, you know, I'll loan you the money, but, you know, you got to make sure you, you understand that you're paying this money back. I'm like, come on, man, of course. And uh, needless to say, it got interesting from there. And how'd you do? Well, he beat me the first match. Um, he pretty much just bulldozed me through, but I caught something on him midway through, and uh, I saw it, and so I asked him to play again, and uh, he said, okay. So we played again. He said, this time we have to play for 20000 And I said, that's fine. So I, I beat him the second time, and I knew I had something. So he immediately fired the dealer after, and said, gave me another dealer in the box. You know, it wasn't a question of, it, it wasn't a request. It was, you know, we're not going anywhere. So we played again for 20, and I beat him again. He fired that dealer, and he got another dealer in the box. He played for 20 again. And by this time, I'm kind of just laughing because it's easy just to play him. And uh, I beat him a third time for 20000 So he got mad, fired that dealer, went over and got Sam Grizzle, and told me that I'm playing Sam Grizzle for 20000 heads up. 
and I beat Sam Grizzle three times for twenty thousand each. So he went and got Benny Binion, and he's been firing. He's fired like seven dealers by this point. He told me that I'm playing three-handed triple draw low ball against Sam Grizzle and Benny Binion, and we did that for a couple hours. And uh, by the end of the night, I made like a hundred thirty thousand and called it a night. I had to go play a thousand dollar. I was there to play a thousand dollar tournament at the Orleans. Uh, the next morning, so um, we got done about seven, eight o'clock in the morning, and the tournament I think was starting around eleven. So we went for about two hours of sleep and play a thousand dollar tournament. So two nights, Chris, that you described in this podcast where you hit and run them, you know, a hundred k pot against Ben Acklack at three in the morning, and then here you you won hundred thirty k, and then you woke up the next morning to play a one k. And I have played with you in I think it was a hundred dollar tournament or maybe an eighty dollar tournament. The Poker Stairs ran in New Jersey, and I remember you took that tournament really seriously, especially once re-entry was over. Like, you're not messing around just because the buy-in is small. No, I'm real competitive. I, I want to uh, to win everything I play. I mean, right now during the uh, lockdown here, I mean, I'm playing a lot of the Poker VR on Poker Stars, and I'm playing free money. Um, I've won the last two months. Uh, they had this platinum series thing that they get do on pokerstars.net where uh they get i don't even know how people win but there's like 50 people that play in it and i've won the last two months and i play again this week i'm looking forward to, to winning again it's free money it doesn't doesn't do anything except for you know pride but it doesn't matter i'm really competitive and i just trying to find the best way to win and i want to be as nice as i can at the table but at the same time crush your soul and and take all your money whether it be real or fake is that your biggest talent in poker, would you say, that your competitive drive never lets go? Kind of joke, my biggest my biggest talent in poker is making my chips multiply. But, um, yeah, I think it's the competitive drive. And, uh, you know, I've, honestly, I think my, my biggest strength in poker is I don't have an ego. I mean, I'm very competitive, but I don't have an ego. Like, I don't mind sitting down and playing one-two, or I don't have to play the biggest stakes. I don't, I don't get goaded into playing you know, against players that are better than me. Cause I know there are players that are better than me out there. Like people challenge me to heads up. And if I, if I don't see it's a profitable spot, then I won't take it. I won't, you know, back down from the challenge. I don't have an ego where, you know, I have something to prove, I, you know, I'm not going to go and try and do a, uh, what is it? The Galphon challenge or anything like that. Much as I have a competitive nature, I don't have to go out and try to prove it against the best. I want to find the weaker spots, the the ones that are trying to give me money. So I think the fact, the fact that I am competitive, but I also don't have an ego is one of the biggest assets slash skill sets that I have in poker. My ability just to pick good spots to play. That's a great point. And it sounds like you're really good at game selection, which is, of course, tied in with ego. Because, you know, if a poker champion sits down at a 2-5 table, you can imagine some people muttering in the background, like, oh, they must be busto. They lost all their money. And, like, that's just not the kind of thing that's ever going to get to you, that people are, like, gossiping or something. I think, you know, by this point in my career, people have realized that I play those games. I mean, I would say for 10 years, people are like, yeah, he's busto because he's playing 1-3 or 2-5. He's playing the red chip game. You know, I'll be in the room and... Someone will yell over, hey, Moneymaker, come over and play, you know, 100, 200 with us. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm playing 510. I'm fine. Or 225, whatever it is. Because, again, I'll walk into the room like I'll walk into the win, and I'll have a 2550 game, and I'll know every person in the game. And I'll look over, and I see a 25 game, and I don't know anybody. Well, I'm going to go set up the 25 game. Um, unless I know all the players are bad at the 2550 game, but 
Um, that's generally not the case. One of the skill sets I think any poker player needs to have is the ability to get into these games. And you do that by having a good personality, being fun to be around, being an action player. And that goes a long way into helping your table selection. So you got to give gamble. You can't just sit there and be a rock. You can't say no to bomb pots. You can't be you know, not talkative at the table. you got to be a fun person to be around. And that's a skill set that I think every poker player needs. You know, back in the day, the majority of poker provoker professionals were characters. I mean, you know, you had Daniel Negrano and Mike Manisal. All the guys were just, you know, really big personalities. And, uh, you know, you see a lot of the guys today that come from the online realm and they're a little bit quieter, a little bit more introverted. And um, they get upset when they can't get into some of these private games. Um, but that's something, you know, unfortunately, you just got to work on is, you know, talking at the table and being interactive and being friendly at the table. And uh, you'll be able to get into some of these, you know, softer games. Yeah, I imagine you would get tons of invites, but you're not really in L.A. or Vegas that often because you're a family man. You spend most of your time in Tennessee, right? Yeah, I mean, I get invites all the time, which is nice. Um, but, you know, again, I, I travel and play, you know, I'm playing $86 tournaments, $100 tournaments for poker stars. My travel generally is going and, and doing poker stars travel. That's what I've done for 15 years. And I'm not one that I like to go off off site too often. When you start going off site, just bad things happen. I feel like, you know, carrying money, going to other casinos, going to other places. Just anytime you leave the, the safety of the casino, I, I, I just don't want to put myself in any kind of spots where I'm going to get mugged or you know anything bad can happen but if you stay i just generally like staying at the casino or the property that i'm at uh one usually the property that that brings me in is working with poker stars and i want to support the people that brought me in and two the safety of being there so usually i'll just play whatever game's there i'll stay and, and play in that casino and people get a thrill no doubt from playing you although i want to go back to something that you said um about personality in poker and i have to say that maybe there's going to be a comeback of personality in poker as so many people especially now with the lockdown are trying like online streaming and clearly to build an online audience you need to not only be a good poker player and play interesting games but also you need to work on your personality right like if you don't have an actually extroverted personality your chances of succeeding in streaming are going to be limited unless you kind of bring that out so maybe that's a positive impact that'll kind of throw back to the old days. It's definitely a great thing. I mean, you have people, you know, like Brad Owen and Andrew Nemi and these guys that are trailblazing and, you know, Jason Somerville sort of trailblazers in this Twitch and vlogging era. And, uh, you know, they're really, you know, their personalities are coming through. And like you said, during the lockdown, every single day, you know, a new poker player is either starting up a new stream or a podcast. So, um, you know, it's definitely building personalities. And I've streamed some, and I know that you just won the, the scoop there in Pennsylvania on stream. Streaming is a hard thing to do. It's hard to engage with your audience, focus on the game. Give away information, but not give away too much information because, you know, your your opponents are probably screen, you know, watching your stream. So it's a really tough balancing act. And to be able to do it takes a pretty special type person to, to stream and focus and, and be a profitable player while you're streaming. 
It's tremendously difficult, I have to say. I'm kind of midway between an extrovert and an introvert. So sometimes, depending on my mood, I'm going to be, you know, the life of the party or I'm going to be shut down. And I notice that, like, if I'm feeling more in the introverted mood and I feel like streaming, man, it's it's tough. You know, you got to kind of just, like, turn it on. How about you? Do you consider yourself an extrovert? And is it usually pretty easy for you to turn it on? I've always been an introvert. I mean, I, I can, you know, sort of be by myself. I have a close-knit group of friends, and I, I don't. I'm not definitely not the life of the party, but uh, you know, after winning the main event, I kind of got forced into that role a little bit. So in the beginning, it was real nerve wracking, and I had a lot of butterflies, and it was really tough for me to do. But I've grown into the role, and um, so now I feel like I can be, you know, the life of the party, have a good time, entertain people, but also I revert back to like, you know, during this quarantine, for example, I'm not like star personal connection. I mean, again, I've got three kids at home. I've got my wife. We're, we're perfectly happy. I know it's been a struggle for a lot of people. I've been very fortunate that I don't get bored or comfortable enough. We got enough room that we're not on top of each other. We're doing kind of what we want to do. Um, obviously the kids are taking it or it's a little bit tougher on them, but even them, I mean, they've been out, you know, riding bikes and doing homeschool and they talk to their friends on their phones. For me, you know, being a natural kind of introvert, it hadn't been that tough. Have your kids rewatched your 2003 victory and what's their favorite part of it? My oldest daughter has zero desire about poker. She loves spas and doing nails and hair. And my middle daughter likes social media, TikTok. My son has is the only one that, and he's eight, is the only one that's shown any interest in poker. And uh, he likes putting on the PokerStars VR headset or watching me play on PokerStar on the, the weekly poker stars game so sit down and play with me and i'll explain to him so uh no none of them watched anything that i've done um the only thing they've ever seen me being on tv is you know when we do a live stream back in the day when when we were able to do that they would watch me on on the live stream but they've never seen the world series or uh anything like that one day for sure um so i got a couple questions from the audience one of them is from Mike Shaw, who's the host of a podcast called The Kinder Things. He asks you what your first celebratory meal was after winning the main, if you remember. And um, there were probably, probably plenty of celebrations. I honestly don't remember. I, I do remember flying home and I worked at a restaurant and we had a big party at the restaurant that night. Um, I honestly, after I won, there was quite a bit of drinking involved. So I would say I was probably drunk for the first like week after I won. I don't really remember a whole lot about that first week. It was a lot of playing golf and a lot of drinking and just doing nothing. Although I did go back to work Monday morning at eight o'clock, but I was drinking there too. I worked <laughs> in a restaurant and bar and I was an accountant. So I sat back in my room and I could drink. Nice, nice. And then Terrence Chan asks, what's the true story of what happened at the 2004 Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure cruise, please, to the best of your memory? And yeah, for listeners who are used to the PCA um, being in the Bahamas and the Atlantis, there was a couple years there where it was actually a cruise, right? I think it was only one year. We were on a cruise and it was definitely different than, you know, being in the Bahamas. I mean, things I remember, you know, you had the Scheinbergs on the cruise. I remember hanging out with Mark. I didn't even know who he was, uh, that he was one of the owners. No one was the wiser. I'm assuming that T-Chan Poker has some kind of story with you on the cruise, but you maybe you don't remember it because it was so much fun. Let's put it this way. I, I do know that I was actually carried, physically carried off of the ship by my dad and a couple other people because I was so drunk I couldn't walk off the cruise. I don't really remember much about the cruise because I was 
pretty inebriated most of the time. I remember showing up to the tournament, the main event, in a towel coming off the uh, out of the pool. So I'll be honest, back in those days, I, I, I probably drank more than I really needed to. So I don't really remember a whole hell of a lot in certain situations. So I'm sure that me and Terrence, we, we've had a long history. Back then, I think he was working for Poker Stars, if memory serves. I know he's gone through so many transitions in his life. I think he's just a full-time fighter now, but uh, I'm sure we probably had some kind of history back then on on the cruise. I just can't recall it. Maybe maybe uh, on his social media or something, he could give me a reminder. I don't know. It seems like people have fond memories of you, even if you did drink more than you would have liked, because uh, I know my dad, I think my, I didn't play poker back then, but my brother was a pro and my dad played a lot too for fun. And I, I remember he was on that cruise and he remember meeting you and just said that you were the best. So you were definitely like a happy, um, inebriated person. Uh, I'm, I'm a fun person to be around drunk. And I, but honestly, I spew money when I'm drunk too, a little bit. Um, you know, I, I open up my range and bluff and you just have fun with it. Uh, again, I'm choosing pretty small games, so it's nothing major, but people definitely have fun when I'm drinking and I make sure that the table has a blast. And I think I'm a really fun drunk. I don't know if my wife will agree with that, but I consequently don't drink anymore. So I don't even know if I know what kind of drunk I would be anymore. Oh. I, haven't, I haven't drank in probably two or three years. Wow. Congratulations on that. You know, most people who make those, uh, I don't think I've seen you post a lot about that on social media. That's more of like a private thing. I mean, honestly, it just came down to, I I couldn't handle the hangovers anymore. I mean, you you drink for a couple, you know, a couple drinks and you have a a nice little buzz and you wake up the next two days and you got a hangover, feel miserable. Once you hit a certain point in age, I guess your body just doesn't metabolize it well. And I just got sick of feeling that way. I didn't think it was some kind of like huge accomplishment not to drink. I just decided I just didn't want to do it anymore. And so, no, I just haven't, I just don't have the desire to. It's kind of, I've been there, I've done it. Uh, I did a lot of it and I'm just, I kind of was just over it. I just, I mean, it wasn't something that I would just go on and post. But again, like, you know, if I give money to charity or do something, I, I don't really post that stuff either. It's just, you know, some things you just don't really post about you just do it and whatever it's not like it's really that newsworthy i mean i can see both sides it sounds like you can do it without that some people do it for like the community support because they feel like if they write it then they're more likely to stick with it and maybe it inspires other people too but i think it's also really awesome well see like when i go to lose weight yeah i'll post about losing weight because i do need that community support because i'm a fat guy and i like to eat and it's hard for me to lose weight but when I wanted, to, when I decided I wanted to stop drinking, I just didn't want to do it anymore. But yeah, when it comes to losing weight or you know being more driven to do something, yeah, I'm going to look for that community support. I might post you know some of that stuff. But you'll notice on social media, I haven't posted anything about losing weight anytime soon. I need to start getting back on that trend. I need to post about it. So um, another question from a listener. Now this is actually like a twist on his question, but approximately how many times lifetime have you been asked, "Is that your real name?" And that one I'm going to give uh, to Nikhil Segal. Oh fuck him! <laughs> oh, why, why? If I had to put a number on it, I mean, 365 days in a year, and it's been 20 years, so it's 7,000 days ballpark. I would say probably once a day would be an average. So I'm going to go 7,000 times. Oh, wow. Oh, God. Yeah. Gosh, gosh. And have you, Obviously, have you... there's a lot of days that I don't get asked that. Then there's days I'll get asked it 10 times. And it doesn't happen near as often now, but it used to happen all the time. And uh, that's why the, the joke still... And, and honestly, if they didn't make it such a big deal on, is that your real name? It, it probably would have died off. 
but on the EPT series, they would always have me on doing some kind of skit. Is that my real last name? And they would have me guessing, you know, it was like bread maker is a pastry guy or so. I mean, they've kind of given it a little bit of legs and, uh, you know, made it to where I still get asked that question quite a bit. Thousands of times. So that's a negative, guys, out there. If you win the World Series of Poker event, you probably will get asked some question thousands of times. One more question about the World Series of Poker from Danny Maxwell. He said that you talked on the 30 for 30 podcast about the chop discussions with Sam Farhad that he hadn't heard about before. And he wanted to know, like, how long were those negotiations? And, you know, how did you come to the decision not to chop and just keep playing? It was a pretty fast discussion, to be honest. We, I had mentioned to the table, I said, hey, you want to chop this? And immediately, uh, Matt Savage said, yeah, you can't talk about that here. They don't. They didn't want that public. So we took a quick break, went off to the bathroom, and uh, we got to the bathroom, and I just, you know, my buddy Bruce, who had traveled with me, was in there with me. I said to Sammy, you know, Sammy, you just want to chop this and play for the bracelet. And he said, well, why don't we just put all the prize money together and play for it all? And I was like, yeah, whatever. And I said, well, I mean, if you don't want to chop it, then we just go play. And he said, we, we can chop it. But he said, I think I need a little bit more money. I have more experience. And I think I should get a little bit more money. You know, and I had him at two to one chip weight at that point. Honestly, it was quite insulting to him to fuck off. And uh, I think those are my exact words. Fuck off. Let's play. And we walked out of the bathroom and got to it. So you you offered a deal for him that was already good, and he wanted even more. So you felt like he was just getting greedy. Yeah. I mean, I offered a hell of a deal for him. I was nervous, and this was, you know, life-changing money for me already. I mean, the difference between first place of $2.5 million and $1.3 million, I mean, I was offering just to split it down the middle for $1.7 million and uh, play for the bracelet. It was a great deal for him since I had a two-to-one ship lead, but he felt like he needed more. And uh, I really felt like he, he thought that the the money would make me play worse and add a lot of stress to me so I wouldn't play very well. And, I, and correctly, I mean, I think, you know, I was definitely under a lot more pressure than he was. He probably lost that much money during the World Series where this was life-changing money for me. But what he kind of failed to realize is $1.3 million was already life-changing money for me. There wasn't a whole lot of extra pressure. I mean, now I'm already a millionaire. So there wasn't a ton of pressure on me at that point. It was, it was all free money from there. And he had wanted more than 1.7. He wanted like 1.8 with you getting 1.6, something like that. Yeah, he had just said, you know, I think I deserve more money and have more experience. Yeah, that ended the discussion real fast. And honestly, I, I thought he was joking when he said put all the money together and play for it, but he wasn't. If we just said, let's just play for all $3.7 million for first and zero for second, he would have done it. Did you end up um, talking to him much after your victory? or Not really. We had a heads-up match on Poker Stars, and then we had a heads-up match during the world, like seven or eight years later, maybe ten years later. And that's the only two times that we ever spoke. Um, he was condescending both times. You know, that's just kind of his personality. Um, but the one time we kind of... After everything was said and done, after both those matches, we both got enlisted to do a charity event up in New York. And we did the charity event together. And we ended up sitting on the bus together and we talked a long time. And after that talk, I think we both left with a a good respect for each other and a good understanding of each other. And I wouldn't call us friends, but I would say we're good acquaintances. I, 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 you know, I don't have a problem with him. I think he's a good guy. And we, I guess, hashed everything out on during that evening, during the charity event. 
Thanks so much, Chris, for sharing that endnote to the fabled moneymaker Farha Showdown. And thank you for coming on the grid for our first year anniversary episode with this epic hand against Ben Affleck, helping us click off a key sell on the grid, 3-5 suited. And we can find you at PokerStars Home Games, PokerStars VR, when this all clears up on the Moneymaker Tour. Until then, at CMoneymaker on Twitter. Thanks again for joining us on the grid. Thank you so much for listening to The Poker Grid. Go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast network. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. We also really appreciate your reviews and ratings. They really do help. We also have a new mailing list, so go ahead and subscribe to that on thepokergrid.com slash subscribe. Finally, if you're looking for a way to support me and my projects, I'm the Women's Program Director at US Chess, and we're trying to equalize the field in the mind sports arena. You can go to uschess.org and pick a donation of any size. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to The Poker Grid as we count down 169 hands. No one ever bust. They say I'm lucky. Oh no, no need to bluff. With all the cheap tricks up my sleeve. Yeah, I got talent. You won't see me, see me.